Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. What does it mean to actually die? And what do different cultures think of death? Welcome to Paranormal Activity with me, Yvette Fielding. And this week... We are taking a deep dive into death. The cycle of life all over the world, across all beings and cultures, is the same. We all live and eventually we all die. The life cycle is the same, but the way that we view death is different. In the UK, a traditional funeral might include a wake after the service with all the family members wearing black with a religious ceremony after that. And for me, I actually do find our funerals incredibly dark and very, very upsetting. That's just my personal opinion. For other people, it can put a full stop, it can draw a line, it can close a chapter on a relationship, on on life and, and make them feel more at ease and more at peace with the passing of a loved one. But for me, every funeral that I've ever been to has been traumatic. First of all, you go through the trauma of losing a loved one. So the first time this happened to me was my grandma. And uh, uh, she'd been ill for many, many years. She suffered with uh, very, very bad arthritis all over her body from the age of, uh, well, early 30s, really. And she died when she was in her uh, mid-60s and was basically uh, kidney failure because of all the tablets that she'd been taking for the majority of her life. Her kidneys just couldn't take it anymore. So she was always ill towards the end of her life she was in a wheelchair and and then she was in hospital and I remember going to see her but she was so bright and bubbly and she was sat up in bed and oh she wanted fish and chips and she was chatting away and I remember thinking oh she'll be out of here in no time gosh you know because she was still so young um and then I think the following night um uh she deteriorated And um, my grandfather was very upset because they said to him, would you like to give um, your wife painkillers, which he did. And then, of course, she passed away. I remember being at home and getting the phone call. And my first reaction, believe it or not, I started laughing. I actually laughed with the news that my grandmother had passed away. And then the laughter sort of turned really into a a hysterical laughter and then turned to absolute sobbing 
um, I mean, I, I just couldn't stop crying. I couldn't believe that my best friend, this wonderful woman, uh, had gone. And so that was really upsetting. But my poor granddad, he went through this awful phase of, you know, maybe they they accidentally gave me the wrong tablets and I, I killed her. And it's like, no, granddad, you didn't. You were just giving her a painkiller, you know. And so he went through years of thinking, oh, gosh, maybe I killed her. And, and it was really bizarre because it was years later um, the, the wonderful Brian Shepherd, who you now know, uh, who I absolutely adore, he's the only medium that myself and, and Carl truly, truly love working with and um, just a lovely person. And I remember him doing a, a drawing and he did this amazing drawing of my grandmother, but he'd never seen a picture of her. And of course, this was in the days before um, iPhones and um, the mobile phones where you, you know, keep thousands of images. And I hadn't got one of, of her on my phone anyway. She wasn't on the internet. So how did he know? How did he draw such an amazing lifelike picture of my grandma? And then he uh, told me, tell your grandfather, your grandma's saying, don't be silly. You didn't kill me. They were the correct tablets. Now, that's something really specific. And I showed the drawing to my granddad. He started to get upset and teary. Um, but by the end of it, he was very comforted by this amazing sketch drawing of my grandma. And he really did take that to heart and really believed it. And re it really helped him with his grief. But the actual funeral itself. So my poor grandmother had passed away. And then we move on as we're talking about the funeral. So you're going through all this trauma. And then the next thing you see is this, I remember, <laughs> I remember walking up to the church and seeing this man dressed in black with a black pointed hat, like a monk's hood pulled up to the top. And, um, it was just, it looked like something out of a horror movie. And then the hearse pulls up and there is this box covered in flowers, but there is this box. Oh, <gasps> my grandma's in there. Oh my God. And it, it's, the most shocking thing, if you've never seen that before, and especially for, you know, teenagers or children, they've never seen that before. Their lovely grandparent or loved one is in a, a box. And that is very traumatic to see. And then, of course, you're going into the funeral, you're saying lovely words, but then you're singing hymns and trying to hold it together and crying. And then as the years have gone by, we've become a little bit more um, modern, haven't we? So we, we, we might play uh, one of their favourite songs. Um, and, of course, that then gets you, doesn't it? Gets you in the chest. You're thinking of images like I was of my grandmother and then listening to, you know, a, a, a song that she loved. And so then you start crying and then you're seeing everybody else crying and then the coffin's taken out and then you have to watch it being dropped into the bottom of this deep hole, this black soiled hole, this cold worm ridden hole and your loved one is going in there. And that to me was an image I couldn't shake out of my head for many, many, many years. And I kept having to tell myself, she's not in there. She's not in there. And eventually, you know, uh, as, as the months, as the years go past, and of course, my experiences on Most Haunted and being a paranormal investigator, I knew she wasn't in that box. She never was in that box. Her body was, her vehicle was, but she wasn't in that box. She was away on another plane and she was having the most marvellous time. So, but that only came to me 
afterwards, years after. Um, and I was very fortunate when my dad passed away because I knew that, you know, about the soul and where the soul goes and I, my belief had changed so much. I was so, and still am, as you know, absolutely convinced and sure that, that we do go on. So when my dad died, as some of as some of you know, myself and my dad, we, we, we didn't speak for a couple of years. We'd had a falling out. So of course, when I heard that he died, I was so upset and so riddled with guilt because I was like, ah, oh, you know, I should have made the um, effort to go and see him. But then I, you know, as I've been told, no, he also could have could have you know we were both the same and so that was really upsetting and took a long time to get over that and that's something else that we have to deal with with death is relationships in life and how they were at the end of somebody's life and just because they die we seem to sort of make these people into angelic beings and oh gosh they're so amazing oh they were so big no a lot of they were they, they don't suddenly turn into angels they're exactly the same as they were in life so sometimes dad could be grumpy dad could be stubborn <laughs> you know as as you probably guessed you know we buttered heads and so all of a so all of a sudden i kept having to sort of reassure myself and tell myself that no there were two of us in that situation and we both could have done something about it but anyway so then uh, my dad was cre- cremated but the same thing happened i knew what was coming i knew that my i was going to see my dad's coffin and when i did see it i was absolutely just my knees buckled I was a a bit of a mess I was really upset about it but what myself and my family had done is we'd actually put um, an American flag in my dad's coffin a cowboy hat and some cowboy boots Um, and um, we'd actually got a coffin um, that was called the Lincoln and that was because my dad had a Lincoln uh, American car because he just lived in America he loved America and guess who got all the information correct about what we'd put in his coffin Brian Brian again and Brian was saying kept saying to me I'd just come from the funeral got on a plane and joined the rest of the most haunted team in America we were filming a series there and uh, Brian walked up to me and he said, your dad is saying thank you so much for putting the flag in. Thank you for the cowboy boots. Thank you for the cowboy hat. Well, I was just, oh, nobody knows that. Even Carl didn't know that. It was it, only I knew that, which was incredible to me. But then he kept saying, your dad wants his ashes scattered at Trafalgar. And I thought, what on earth does that mean? Trafalgar? He wasn't as it wasn't a, a a war you know a battle fan. He wasn't um, didn't really talk about that sort of thing. I don't understand it. Anyway, after speaking to family members, I discovered that Trafalgar was his an English pub in America where he used to go. He used to go. That was was his pub. So me and my family we took his ashes to the Trafalgar, but it'd been it'd been bulldozed down. Um, so we we scattered his ashes at sea. And that was a bit strange as well, that seeing your loved one, their remains in an urn after seeing him in a coffin. And again, it's just a, a weird, awful, traumatic thing. But actually scattering his ashes was a lovely thing. We said lovely words. We watched his ashes uh, floating off um, you know, across the sea breeze and eventually falling onto the water. And, um, you know, a few tears were shed. But we said, 
talked out loud to dad, knew that he was with us, knew that he was there and knew that he could see us. And later on, when the tapping and the knocking started happening for me, and it was my dad talking to me, he said, thank you. Thank you for, for scattering my ashes where you did. It was beautiful. And that, you go, oh, wonderful. He was there. Absolutely fantastic. So, it, yes, it is traumatic and it's a horrific experience. Absolutely awful. But there are beautiful moments in there as well, aren't there? Um, and it does make you think about your own uh, life, your own relationships, where you're going in life, how we're not here uh, forever. We're here for a very short time and how we have to get on with our lives. And sadly, Carl's mum passed just over a month now. And that was a very, very upsetting time um, for the family, particularly, obviously, for Carl, Carl's brother and Mary. And Mary and her nanny were incredibly close. Now, Mary had never been to a funeral before um, and not seen a loved one in a coffin. And there she was in her RAF uniform. And she was, oh, just fantastic. She she read the eulogy out in the church and she kept it together. She was an awful lot stronger than I was. Carl, um, as you can imagine, was just broken hearted. But again, we were talking about it and saying, gosh, why do we put ourselves through this? Why do we have to see this coffin? Why do we have to play all these sad songs? And then why do we have to watch the coffin being dropped into a dark hole in the ground? Why do we do that to ourselves? So, it's made me think about my own funeral and what I want, which I'll share with you in a moment. However, as we know, this isn't the same all over the world. These are just funerals, the traditional ones in the UK. For example, the way death is perceived in Africa is very different. With 54 countries and over 3,000 tribes speaking 2,000 languages, it's not possible to write a guide to each unique death custom. We'd be here for for months. But there are shared beliefs that span the entire continent. In Africa, the belief is that the deceased continue to live after death. Most Africans believe in ancestors and the dead continue to live and guide their family in the afterlife. If the ancestor does not have a proper funeral and burial, the deceased will become a wandering ghost. Funerals in Africa are very colourful, lively and are incredibly elaborate affairs. In Nigeria, the Igbo tribe, I hope I've said that correctly, has not one but two funerals. The second funeral is a celebration of the deceased. And this ceremony lasts multiple days and features a bull slaughter, ritual drumming and poetry to celebrate all the loved ones that have died. Just hitting on that where we talk about, you know, um, the second funeral being one to celebrate the deceased person. I mean, how wonderful. And that's basically what we should be doing. I don't think we should be mourning and, and, and wearing black and, oh, crying and playing very sad songs. Um, this is me personally. This is how I would want my funeral to be. This is what made me think. I, a few thoughts. Number one, are you listening, Carl? Make sure you organise this. Okay. <laughs> Number one, I want my funeral to be incredibly colourful. No one's to wear black. There has to be a live band, right? And I'm thinking like, I'm looking at Carl now, we're starting to say, I'm thinking like live jive band, bit of swing, jiving, colourful swirling skirts and 
throwing up at people with, you know, throwing in the air, doing the jive through the legs, all of that kind of stuff. A celebration of my life. I want funny stories, no tears, and lots of champagne. And then the other thought is, I don't want any coffin whatsoever. So wherever I die, I don't want my family to see a coffin and think, she's in there. I don't want that. I want wherever I die, for the family to leave, for the funeral directors to come in, take care of me, do what's needed. Then I want to be cremated so they don't even see the transference of the body to the crematorium. I am cremated. Then the family come and pick up my ashes in an urn and then they are to um, bury my ashes um, under a tree. And Carl and I, whoever goes first, whoever goes last, whatever, but our ashes are going to be mixed together and we're going to be buried under a, under a tree. Those, those are my thoughts and my ideas. And I think it's because I deal with talking to deceased people um, the majority of my life at the minute and talking about it. So, of course, you think about it, you know, and most people have thought about how they would want their funeral to be. I really do think that it's a very important thing to think about, but also not to be frightened of. And that's the key, not to be frightened of it. Anyway, moving on. In South Africa, where the oldest living humans on earth, the sand people, reside. Now, I recently watched a documentary about the sand people. You must look into them. How absolutely fascinating these people are. And they're incredibly spiritual. And some of their um, beliefs are actually quite similar to ours. Um, But they do a mysterious rain dance that takes place during the funerals. And this allegedly transports the dancer's souls to the spirit world to speak with the deceased. Um, ha, what I wouldn't give to learn this dance, mind you. I think it would look very amusing just before I did a seance or a Ouija board to get up and start boogieing, don't you? <laughs> so as you can see, worshipping ancestors in Africa is essential and there is belief that they are still amongst us. In Asia views on death root back to Hindu, Islamic and Buddhist religions. Chinese funerals are rich in superstition and rituals. These include removing mirrors and hanging cloths on the doorways at home. Uh, If these aren't followed, it could mean death and misfortune for the grieving family. And the family is expected to hold a 24-hour vigil next to the casket. And during this time, fruit, candles and flowers brought by friends and family are placed in the casket with the body. It is a tradition for women to wail in grief. The louder the wail, the more inheritance for the recipient. Visitors bring white money envelopes to help contribute to the funeral fund. At the end of the wake, the casket is covered with a yellow and white holy paper. This paper symbolises protection. Some family members will look away during this time as they believe it could be bad luck. Some of these rituals may seem very odd to us, but uh, we have our own ways of dealing with death. For instance, I do know that when my grandma died, the nurse came into the room where her body lay and opened the window. And we thought it was to let some air in. But she turned around and said, so her soul can be set free. And apparently I've heard a lot of nurses uh, do this. Now, this next custom comes from Tibet and has to be the most hardcore belief there is. Tibetan Buddhists have several distinct burial practices that connect to the four tantric elements of earth, water, fire and air. The Buddhist sky burial is tied to the element of air, where bodies are left out in the open air for vultures 
to consume. They believe that once the consciousness has left the body, it's an empty vessel. Central to the belief of Buddhism, it's believed we all live many lives and the consciousness is thought to continue through a cycle of death and rebirth until they achieve enlightenment. The period between death and rebirth is called the Bardo stage. Tibetan Buddhists believe that the consciousness remains attached to the body for three quarter days and during this time it should not be touched. Immediately following a death, the deceased body is covered with a white sheet to allow the namshis to separate from the body undisturbed. The head of the body is left free so that the namshis can escape. Once the namshis has left the body, the corpse is put into the fetal position. This symbolizes the consciousness being reborn out of the current life and into the next. It also helps prevent the body from becoming a rolang, the Tibetan culture's equivalent to zombies. It also has a practical rationale. In this position, the body is easier to transport to the burial site. Before the body is removed from where it has been kept, any relatives or other participants in the burial rites must be purified with water that has been blessed by a lama. This ensures no evil spirits will contaminate the namshis in the course of the burial. So Tibetans feel that there is no need to preserve the body and that it's best for animals to use it for nourishment. These have been in practice for hundreds of years and were first documented in the 12th century in the Tibetan Book of the Dead, but might have gone on longer than this. I did watch a documentary on this and thought, although we might shudder at the thought of it, but in fact, it makes perfect sense to me. After all, we're all part of the earth and all its creatures and animals. Mind you, I wouldn't fancy the thought of that. It must be a traumatic thing to see, but I'm guessing that the family members don't hang around to watch the vultures eat their loved ones. In South America, most are Catholic, but remote areas in the Andy Mountains and Peruvian Amazon have their own spiritual beliefs that influence death culture. In Colombia's African communities, women sing lullabies to the deceased children. Like Puerto Ricans, they believe children become angels in death. Across Latin America, people celebrate their ancestors on the Day of the Dead. In some cultures, like Peru, families believe the deceased can rise from the dead and join them in celebration. The Latino culture is a unique example of how the relationship between loved ones continue to exist after death. It's an incredible uh, thing, isn't it? all these different traditions and, um, and ways of dealing with death and, and, and grief. The Victorians were, in my opinion, possibly one of the most macabre people of that, of that time that dealt with death. I mean, they actually had dead people, their dead loved ones, they dressed them up and have the rest of their family, the living family, pose next to them and have photographs taken with them. That to me is is extraordinary. And in some of them, they've actually got, you know, live children sitting next to their dead brother or sister who's dressed up in their Sunday best. But the look of absolute fear on the living child's face. I mean, 
I don't think you'd never forget that. You'd never forget that photo session, would you? And yes, yeah, so the Victorians were, you know, it was all very, you know, black and everybody wore black and, you know, um, windows were closed, curtains were shut, um, you know, only certain uh, people were allowed to visit and so on. They also were very keen on having lockets with um, the dead person's hair within the locket. And they sort of not seemed to enjoy, but they, it was a, it was a, well, it was. It was a. It was a way of life in itself, wasn't it? Their way of dealing with grief and death. Um, and over the years, we've taken that Victorian way of dealing with it, and now, thankfully, it's been watered down. But when you do go to most UK ceremonies and uh, funerals, we do tend to wear black, um, you know, and we do. We are quite still quite very uh, morbid. I just wish we could embrace some of the other cultures, perhaps, you know, where we wear colour and celebrate and sing. Not the wailing, though. I don't think we could cope with that. So I've been told by the spirit world that when our soul leaves our bodies, the sensation is blissful. Now, you've heard me talk about this many, many times, but I think it gives me a sense of calmness. And also when we do Most Haunted Experience and we have lots of people that come and join our investigations and their loved ones will come through and talk to them and they will say, I am so happy. I am so at peace. Please don't mourn for me. Please don't be sad. And they go away um, with a sense of calmness. And I think it gives a lot of hope to an awful lot of people out there that come to Most Wanted Experience. Some of them are terminally ill, but they come along because they want to know that there's something else after we leave this plane. I've been told by the spirit realm that no spirit wants to come back. And as I've just said, they are very, very happy where they are. And people that cross over in traumatic circumstances, their souls are taken before their human body dies. This way, the soul doesn't cross over in trauma. I've also been told I didn't feel any pain, which is sometimes very hard to understand when you perhaps witnessed a traumatic death and that poor person is writhing around in agony. But I'm told from the other side that when that release comes, it's so heavenly and blissful that all the pain is forgotten. I suppose it's a bit like giving birth. We go through it and then the pain is forgotten. I know many of us are terrified or fearful of dying as it's the unknown, but I truly, truly believe there is no need to fear death. It's part of a journey that we all must go on. And it's a beautiful experience, a tranquil passing onto our next adventure. This week, Charlotte got in touch on email who had some spooky goings on at her parents' house. It was built in around the 1920s. Hi Yvette, it's Charlotte Green here. I met you very recently with my husband Ray, a best friend Lisa, at the Hack Green Nuclear Bunker. You kindly signed a copy of your new book and I can't wait to get stuck into that. We had a great time exploring with you that night. It was a second time for me going on a most haunted experience and I think it was Lisa and Ray's fourth time. So I'm very lucky that I've got uh, my my two favourite people who get it and understand it. As I said to you, I've been meaning to record a voice note for you and uh, I'm actually on holiday at the moment. I've got a little bit of peace and a bit of quiet. So I thought I'd give you a bit of a lowdown on uh, what's been happening really. I told you um, about the uh, experiences that I've had 
my parents' house. Um, now they live in a little town called Dromfield that's in Derbyshire. It's a little village called Appenall that they live. And, um, the house that they live in, we believe it's about 1920s originally. It's been owned since I would say maybe the 1950s. It's been owned by different generations of our family. So my great uncle originally owned the property and I used to go visit there as a child. Uh, he lived there with my great aunt as well. But years passed by, the house fell into disrepair as my great aunt and my great uncle either passed away or fell to ill health and then moved into care homes. And my parents bought the house and they uh, decided to, to renovate it, to restore it to what it once was and also add a bit of an extension on as well. So I guess the strange experiences that I started to experience would have probably started in about 2018. And it was an experience where I was up late. The rest of the family had gone to bed. I was at my parents' house and I had decided to catch up on a bit of work late in the evening. Now there is an adjoining room that is a workshop where I do a lot of my own business work and stuff. I was sat in there, it was 2am working on my laptop and all of a sudden I heard a knock and I couldn't determine where this knock had come from. It startled me. At first I thought that there was an intruder I thought that there was somebody on the land around the house. Um, nothing had fallen over and uh, it startled me. And I heard footsteps walking through the kitchen. Now, the kitchen has vinyl floor laid. So when you walk in bare feet, your feet stick to the floor and it kind of makes a pulling, dragging off sort of sound. And that was what I could hear walking across the kitchen. I still thought there must be an intruder, so I went and checked everywhere. I could see nothing. I went upstairs. I woke everybody in the house. There was only my parents who were then at the time in the house. They were fast asleep in completely different parts of the house, nowhere near to where I was. And it really, really scared me. I then went around trying to replicate the knocking noise that I heard. And it took a while for me to, to figure it out. The only way I could replicate the knocking noise was on a internal wooden door. It was a hollow, woody sound. And there is nowhere else that I, that, that sound could have been replicated, which was quite eerie. That was the first experience. A little while later, some months later, you could go into the master bedroom upstairs. And there was always a bit of an atmosphere. You know that, that sensation that you get and you can feel uneasy. You can feel like something's watching you. You just don't feel right. Sometimes you could walk into the master bedroom and it would feel really clear and light and everything would be fine. And then other times you'd walk in and it would feel awful. That kind of sensation started to increase. There have been times when I would be in the master bedroom, I would have my back turned towards the window facing the only door 
that was in the room. And you could feel only what I can describe as an energy. You know, like when somebody has rushed up behind you to make you jump. It was that sort of energy and sensation rushing up to my back and scaring me and startling me. And so it brings me on to some of the most recent experiences. Sometime after that, my daughter was born and she is now 18 months old. Everything started to, to ramp up those feelings and those sensations shortly after she was born. I Again, I was sat in the living room one evening. I'd tried to uh, get my daughter to sleep. We decided to stay over at my parents' house to visit and it was 3am. And as kids do, they wake up in the middle of the night. You have to give them the milk, give them a feed, get them sorted, get them back down. And then you can't get to sleep. You can be sat there for ages trying to settle down. So I was actually sleeping on the sofa in the living room with my daughter in the travel cot. And I was reading some news articles um, from a newspaper website on my phone. All of a sudden, I felt that I couldn't see properly. My vision went really blurred. It was really strange. I've, I've never really had that before. Yes, I, I appreciate I was very tired, but I literally couldn't see. And my eyes would be focusing in and out. And I felt strange. All of a sudden, I heard a voice next to the sofa, really close to me, say, hello. Immediately, I was like, there's somebody here. I got up off the sofa. I looked out of the window outside. The grounds around are floodlit. And immediately I jumped up to make sure if I, you know, if there was somebody out there talking to me, I was going to catch them. And there was nobody there. My instincts again just said, no, there's somebody outside that must be somebody outside. But there wasn't. Both my parents were fast asleep at 3am in completely different parts of the house. There was nobody there. I asked them in the morning, did you get up in the night? Did you talk to each other? No, they were fast asleep. I can only say that the situation is kind of ongoing. One thing I can say is the phantom footsteps uh, that I did experience going across the uh, the kitchen um, in the house. I also experienced on the first most haunted event that I went on to Bow Manor Hall, um, where there was Carl, Stuart and Jenny, and we had phantom footsteps as clear as day walking up the staircase in front of us whilst we were all stood still. And it then developed a tapping response. And Carl, Jenny and Stuart were able to um, determine from whoever was there um, that they were a male, that they um, worked there previously. Um, they could tap out how many people were stood on the staircase. And that was an amazing first experience on one of your events, I have to say. Uh, it's hard to beat. It really was. Uh, it was amazing. But it was so reassuring to know that it happens to other people. Other people experience it. And it's nice to know that I'm not going mad, really. Um, I'm sure people feel like that. Uh, so those are my experiences recently. Maybe I'll be able to update you as, as things progress. You never know. Uh, but we had a wonderful time and it was a pleasure to meet you all. You guys do a great job and uh, we'll see you soon.
Thanks, Charlotte. It was so lovely to hear your voice uh, then. It really was. And it was lovely meeting you all. How interesting that you heard uh, just one knock on its own and then the footsteps as if somebody's walking across the liner. That's really interesting to me. When you believe that there's an intruder and you know, I've told you so many times I've thought this has happened to me, you know you're not imagining it. There's somebody in your house. And when you realise, thank goodness, it's not human, you're actually relieved, aren't you? Oh, thank goodness it's a ghost. But that wonderful hollow woody sound that the rapping noises that we hear regularly, aren't they wonderful when you hear them? It's so fantastic. And until you hear them, it's very difficult. And I understand why so many people don't believe in it. And they think somebody's under the floorboard with a broom handle or something. But you know, like like Charlotte, until you witness it, and as I've always said, seeing is believing. Um, and that energy that you felt, Charlotte, I get sometimes, and then my stomach flips over and my legs start to shake. And this sensation, I believe, is a spirit getting too close for comfort. And how strange that your vision blurred. Again, I've experienced this. It was like smoke in my eyes. Uh, it, I'm not going to burst into song. It's an extraordinary feeling and incredibly scary too. But your experience is definitely caused because a spirit wanted to communicate with you. But I wonder who it was. Could your visitor be a family member or perhaps an old resident? If you get more knocking or tapping, then you must ask who visited you in your parents' home. And please let us know. Keep them coming in. Keep us up to date. Charlotte with what's going on. I'm so pleased that you had that activity with the Most Haunted Experience team. Isn't it fantastic? I know I've mentioned it when you hear the tapping and the knocking, but when you feel it as well, when you feel that sensation thudding underneath your feet or your hands, it's incredible. Um, sorry, if you can hear any strange noises, it's not a ghost, it's Watson. There you go. Thank you, Watson. <laughs> I love it when you get answers to questions as well. And then you can get the dates and names confirmed uh, with historical records. And I, you know me so well now, that makes me jump up and down with excitement. Get in touch yourselves with any paranormal stories that you've had. And if you've had a paranormal or unexplained experience, please let me know. Now, let's take a moment for ourselves to just breathe with our lovely friend, Paul Wales. This week, we're looking at the breath of transition. Have you ever lost your breath and it's taken you some time to regain it? Maybe with the shock of something, someone shouting at you, a loud noise, etc. Most people don't have control of their breath. And what I mean is that when you get anxious and stressed, the breath rises high up into the chest and this puts you into a state of fight or flight. You may stay here moaning, groaning that someone has made you feel like this. My life is always tough. Why do I always feel like this, etc, etc, etc. It's time to reclaim what is rightfully yours, the power of your breath. When you believe things have suddenly become tough, for whatever reason, see where your breath is. Is it high up in your chest with your chest pounding? Or even up in your head, oh no, I'm going to get a headache, I can feel it coming on. Mentally, take one step back in your mind. And picture the soles of your feet. Breathe in through your soles. Feeling your tummy expand as you breathe in. And do this for a count of five. 
And as you breathe out, breathe out through the soles of your feet for a count of five, feeling your tummy contracting in. And continue this for about five breaths. So let's get a anxious. Open your mouth and breathe as fast as you can, in and out for 20 breaths. And then stop. Feel your heart racing and the tightness of your chest. Now, mentally take one step back in your mind and think of your feet. Breathe in through the soles of your feet for a count of five. One, two, three, four, five. And then breathe out through the soles of your feet for a count of five. One, two, three, four, five. And continue this for maybe five or six times. As you're breathing in, feel the tummy expand. And as you're breathing out, feel the tummy contracting in. In and out with that breath through the soles of your feet. And then you can feel the peace in your entire body, from the tips of your toes to the top of your head. Feel how easy that was to regain a calm and empowering breath, the power of your breath, in just a few seconds. You may need to practice this a little, but be sure that this truly works. And if it happens again, you get anxious and it catches you off guard and brings your breath all tense high in your chest. Follow these steps until you're back into the true power of your breath. So remember, Paul says, just breathe. Thank you for listening to Paranormal Activity with me, Yvette Fielding, and a huge thanks to our lovely listeners for sharing their visitation stories with us. You can get in touch and share your own stories at contact at paranormalpod.co.uk, or we are on WhatsApp. Go on, give us a call. Don't be shy. Here's the number 075-999-27537. We are on Instagram and the handle is at paranormalactivitypod. Stay up to date with the newest episodes by giving us a follow, and we'll be back again same time next week. But if you can't wait until then then visit www.paranormalpod.co.uk where you can find options to get episodes a day early have a great week stay safe and remember things aren't always as they seem Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. 
Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.